Good morning. In today's headlines, the Rafah border crossing opens for limited evacuations with critically injured patients and 500 foreign passport holders eager to get out. We bring you the latest on the Israel-Hamas war. The White House threatens to veto House Republicans' aid package for Israel. Hear why senators say the bill is dead on arrival. Terrorist threats in the U.S. Senators sound the alarm on Biden's border policies after illegal immigrants are caught with explosive devices. We speak with a former ICE officer. A reporter on the ground in Israel near the Gaza border gives us a real-time update. He says intercepted rocket shrapnel has landed in his yard. And we hear from two brothers who escaped the Supernova Festival assault in Israel. Find out how the terrorist attacks affected their lives. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. Also for me, today is Wednesday, November 1st. And Evelyn, finally, some relief for those trying to flee Gaza. Right, some good news. Uh, hopefully also on the other side, they have some much needed uh, help and resources waiting for them. They're going to need everything. Band-Aids, first aid, shelter, yeah. food. For sure. Uh, in the top news today, the Rafah border crossing between Gaza and Egypt opened for limited evacuations today. Close to 500 dual citizens and foreign passport holders trapped in Gaza expecting to be let out. Ambulances lined up at the border in Egypt this morning to pick up critically injured patients. The 80-some Palestinians will be the first allowed out of Gaza since the war began. The deal between Egypt, Israel and Hamas in coordination with the U.S. was reportedly mediated by Qatar. It's unknown how long the crossing will stay open. Israel's military said today it's struck over 11,000 targets belonging to terror groups in the Gaza Strip since October 7th. That's an average of around 440 strikes per day. The IDF says nine more of its soldiers were killed in ground operations, bringing the total up to 11 since Israel stepped up its offensive last week. Israeli airstrikes against Hamas are ramping up in intensity, this time targeting a terrorist in a refugee camp. Forces continue to move further into Gaza, with troops now entering the tunnels to fight Hamas terrorists. Entity's Jason Perry has the latest. Israel Defense Forces continue to pursue Hamas terrorists in Gaza, even if they try to hide in refugee camps. Photos from Tuesday show the destruction after a strike. The strike hit Jabalia refugee camp in the north of Gaza. An IDF spokesperson confirmed that the attack was carried out by Israeli forces. I am not saying that there are no civilian casualties. What I am saying is that we struck an important military objective. This Ibrahim Boyari, who was a battalion commander who was leading operations and fighting against Israel as he was targeted, he and many Dozens of enemy combatants were in a tunnel complex underneath the ground. We struck that tunnel complex and we caused it, and that caused it to collapse. And it is our assessment that dozens of Hamas operatives were killed. Those are casualties that should be factored in in any report of casualties coming out of the Gaza Strip. And I also understand that there is significant structural damage around, and that is because Hamas built that vast tunnel complex underneath the buildings uh, and it probably collapsed as a result of the strike. And Israeli forces have been advising civilians to evacuate this area and go to the south. 
we have to put into context that we this is the same area, northern Gaza, that we have been asking Palestinian civilians, non-combatants, to evacuate for almost two weeks. Most Palestinians have. But I really ask and, and would, would want to understand why have Palestinian civilians either been forced or chosen to remain in that area in direct risk of their own lives. They should move to the south. They should not be in a war zone, in a main combat area. And it's not too late to call on all Palestinian civilians in northern Gaza, please evacuate to a safer area in the south because northern Gaza is an active combat zone and Hamas uses civilians as their human shields. Also on Tuesday, the IDF reported killing 50 terrorists, including two more Hamas commanders, both of whom helped facilitate the massacre in which over 1,400 innocent civilians were killed in Israel in a surprise terrorist attack. And now, four days into ground operations in Gaza, Israel has been fighting terrorists inside the tunnels of the Hamas network. Israel hopes to rescue hostages along the way. The Israeli military says the number of known hostages in Hamas captivity has increased again and is now over 240. But Israel is not only fighting against Hamas. It has also been engaged in cross-border fire exchanges with Iranian-backed groups in Syria as well as Hezbollah in Lebanon. And on Tuesday, another country weighed in on the conflict. A spokesperson for Yemen's Houthis said they've been launching missiles and drones at Israel. He called Israel the enemy and said the operation is in support of Palestinians. The IDF said aerial threats were detected from the area of the Red Sea and all were intercepted outside of Israel. In January 2021, the Trump administration designated Yemen's Houthis as a terrorist organization. However, the Biden administration reversed the decision, saying the terrorist designation would make it difficult to get humanitarian aid to Yemen. Jason Perry, NTD News. Now for some live updates on the ground inside Israel near the Gaza border. We're bringing in Pierre Rehoff, a French-Israeli reporter, writer, and documentary filmmaker. Pierre, it's great to have you with us this morning. Please describe what's happening near you in Israel right now. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to be with you also. Uh, I live in uh, Ashdod, uh, south of Ashdod, so I'm basically 10 miles away from Gaza. Uh, what has been going on for us uh, living in this house has been not, I mean, the end of the world, I have to say, but we have a baby and uh, we had to rush to the shelter three, four, five times a day, including in the middle of the night. Obviously, uh, the, the rockets uh, which are fired by Hamas and other organizations from within Gaza are targeting civilians. But we have, as you know, the Iron Dome, and most of them are destroyed by the Iron Dome. So we feel relatively safe, although there is, you know, a lot of tension in the air. The other evening, I went out walking the dogs, and uh, I didn't have time to uh, rush back home. So I was outside, and two rockets exploded above my head. So I saw shrapnels landing in the street and landing in the park where I used to, I used to, 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 to walk the dogs. And one of the, one of the trees uh, caught fire. So it was a little bit, you know, scary. And then I, then I ran back home and my wife was out of her mind because I forgot my cell phone and she was trying desperately to reach out to me and she thought I was dead. So these kind of things are happening on a daily basis. So sorry you had to go through that. And I'm glad that you're safe and 
it's good that the Iron Dome and your shelters are able to give you some security there. The IDF has reportedly stepped up its shelling campaign in northern Gaza. Can you please give an assessment of the Israeli military's tactics of using airstrikes, shelling, and ground operations? Well, I'm not a military expert, I'm a, but I'm a reporter who's been many times embedded in the Israeli uh, army and also in Iraq with the American army. And I think it's a, a simple tactic because we just, they just want to ex eliminate the Hamas uh, terrorists, the Hamas fighters. And the, the best way to do it is at the same time to be able to protect the uh, IDF forces from the ground by uh, by sending the bombs, targeted bombs, at the places where we know that the, the terrorists might be hiding, and uh, that's a good thing because, as you as you know, unfortunately, yesterday nine Israeli soldiers died, but in the meantime, 50 uh, Hamas terrorists were eliminated. So this tactic, which consists at at the same time protecting the IDF soldiers on the ground, also protecting Palestinian population, civilians. It uh, has, been, has been proven right for a long time already. I remind you that out of thousands and thousands of bombing in 2014, only a few hundred Palestinians were killed, which tells you how much Israel is doing its very best to just protect civilians and, and, uh, and also protect its own arm. Right, and yes, of course, there are military casualties on both sides. A very aggressive posture by Israeli army forces there trying to take out the Hamas commanders and so on. Can you compare and contrast the way that Israel is approaching counterterrorism in this context to that of the United States? They have, they have a lot of in common. I mean, first of all, the values are the same. The values of the American army are more or less the same as the values of the Israeli army. That's the most important thing to point out. In both cases, both armies are trying to avoid innocent casualties as much as they can. I would say that Israel is going a little bit further because I don't remember uh, the U.S. Army uh, sending leaflets and sending SMS to, for instance, Iraqi population before bombing a, a city, which is what Israel is doing all the time. They call in Arabic almost every simple, every single civilian that they can reach out to and tell them, evacuate, or we're going to bomb this house, get out of the house, you have 10 minutes to get out of the house. Or we also had in the past another tactic which consisted of sending a sound bomb, which was not making any damage, but was very, very loud. And uh, that was telling the Palestinians, okay, we're going to bomb this house, run away, this house is going to be destroyed. So this is, I would say, the difference. And, you know, Gaza is next to Israel. I'm 10 miles away from Gaza and I live in Israel. So uh, the idea of just killing your neighbors is not part of Israeli culture or Jewish culture. So that's the reason why we are considering the entire population of Gaza as potentially innocent and at the same time trying to target precisely the huge number of terrorists or their supporters. I would like to remind you that when they raided uh, Israeli kibbutzim, kibbutzes in uh, on October the 7th, it was not only Hamas or Palestinian Islamic Jihad. A lot of Palestinian civilians went into the kibbutz, including kids, including teenagers, and they did what it's called in Arabic, razia, which is you rape, you kill, you torture, you dis dismember, you behead, you do everything possible to inflict the enemy with the highest level of terror and pain. And I believe that 
most of the people who did the rapings and the, and the beheading and the torture were not Hamas themselves, it was the civilians from Gaza. That is new information to me. We'll have to look further into this. Pierre Rehav, French-Israeli reporter, writer and documentary filmmaker, thank you for your update. My pleasure. The most significant terror threat to the U.S. in over a decade. FBI Director Christopher Wray yesterday warning of attacks in the U.S. Entities Arian Pastar has the highlights from a Senate hearing on threats to the homeland. The actions of Hamas and its allies will serve as an inspiration, the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate several years ago. FBI Director Christopher Wray on Tuesday warning of an increased terrorism threat at a Senate hearing on threats to the homeland. He says since Hamas attacks on Israel, multiple terrorist organizations have called for attacks against America and the West. The number of attacks on U.S. military bases overseas has already increased sharply to 25 attacks in just the last two weeks, according to reports. But it's not only overseas. Ray says the call for attacks by these terrorist groups also raised the threat posed by violent extremists already in the United States. It also raises questions about illegal immigration. Senator Roger Marshall asked Homeland Security's Alejandro Mayorkas how many illegal immigrants in the U.S. have ties to terrorist organizations such as Hamas, ISIS or others. Is it tens, is it hundreds, is it thousands? An individual who poses a risk to our national security is our highest enforcement priority. And if so you don't know the answer to the question? And if detention is indeed warranted by reason of the risk they present, then we indeed detain them. Do you have an answer for my question? I believe I have answered your question. No, sir, you didn't. Mayorkas did confirm that the U.S. saw over 600,000 illegal immigrants avoid capture this fiscal year, so-called gotaways. Arguably the most heated exchange at Tuesday's hearing was between Senator Josh Hawley and Mayorkas. Hawley showed tweets of a Homeland Security immigration officer praising Hamas attacks on Israel on the day of the attacks. Hawley asked what Homeland Security has done about this. Mayorkas replied, calling the question despicable. Here's what followed. Have you fired her? Don't come to this hearing room when Israel has been invaded and Jewish students are barricaded in libraries in this country and cannot be escorted out because they are threatened for their lives, you have employees who are celebrating genocide and you are saying it's despicable for me to ask the question? Mayorkas later clarified he finds the question despicable because he has close family ties to Holocaust survivors. The employee has been put on administrative leave but hasn't been fired. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. And we'll be talking with a former ICE special agent later in the show about terrorism and the border. But now we're going to break. House Republicans, Israel and aid package is on a bumpy road to the Senate. Find out why the White House is threatening to veto it and why some senators say it's dead on arrival. Several protesters interrupt an Israel-related hearing in the Senate. What are they asking for? And a student from Cornell University has been arrested he allegedly called for the killing of Jewish students in an online forum. Stay tuned for those details.
Good to have you back. House Republicans' $14 billion aid bill for Israel is being met with stiff opposition from the White House. It's threatened a veto should it reach President Biden's desk. That's because the bill slashes IRS funding and doesn't include Ukraine. Senators from both sides of the aisle are also voicing their doubts, including Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the proposal some senators say is dead on arrival. Speaker Mike Johnson took his first major legislative step in the House this week with the introduction of the GOP's $14.3 billion aid package for Israel. The bill would cut $14.5 billion of IRS funding that came bundled in the Inflation Reduction Act. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer accused Johnson of loading the bill with what he called poison pills and says it's dead on arrival. This House GOP proposal is clearly designed to divide Congress on a partisan basis. The White House says Republicans are politicizing national security. It opposes the exclusion of Ukraine and says emergency funding shouldn't come with cuts. It's threatened a veto if it makes it to President Biden's desk. Biden has requested roughly $106 billion for Israel and Ukraine, along with funding for deterrence against China in the Indo-Pacific and security at the U.S.-Mexico border. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby called the GOP bill a break from the normal bipartisan process. He says it could have devastating implications for U.S. safety and security interests overseas. There shouldn't be any political games played here with our national security or trying to turn support for Israel's self-defense into some, side of, some sort of uh, political football. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says he supports Democrats' position to tie aid together and agrees the other areas need treatment as well. Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and the border. Senator Josh Hawley called McConnell's support a mistake. I think it's notable that he's standing with Schumer over against the Republicans. President Biden in an Oval Office address Tuesday said although Hamas and Putin represent different threats, they have one thing in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy, completely annihilate it. Biden says Putin has turned to Iran and North Korea to buy attack drones and ammunition to terrorize Ukrainian cities and civilians. He warned Russia's ambitions could spread to countries like Poland, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, and that a victory in Ukraine would embolden aggressors like China in the Indo-Pacific. Iran is, is, is supporting Russia in Ukraine, and is supporting Hamas and other terrorist groups in the region, and will continue to hold them accountable, I might add. The president reiterated he will not send American troops to fight in Ukraine. Republicans are expected to pass the legislation in the House as soon as this week. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. On Capitol Hill, several protesters interrupt an Israel-related hearing in the Senate. NTD's Melina Weiskup has a story. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Secretary of State Antony Blinken are trying to make the case to a divided Congress that the conflicts in Ukraine and Israel are linked, using this as the reasoning before a group of senators. Since we cut off Russia's traditional means of supplying its military, it's turned more and more to Iran for assistance. In return, Moscow has supplied Iran with increasingly advanced military technology. The two cabinet secretaries persisted through many disruptions during the hearing as anti-war protesters shouted, cease fire and save the children of Gaza. <laughs> 
pushback on this White House request doesn't stop with the protesters. Many lawmakers are opposed to this White House funding request, though for a different reason. Republicans want to fund Israel now and deal with Ukraine later, taking a more critical approach to how those funds in Ukraine are spent. This has caused some Republican senators to break with their Senate leader, Mitch McConnell. Well, I don't think we need to hold up Israel aid. I mean, let's get that done. We can come back and talk about all the other things the president wants, Ukraine, Taiwan. We'll see. I just hope that the Democrats don't slow this down and hold Israel aid hostage. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskup, NTD News. A Republican Congresswoman has introduced a bill to defund, defund the United Nations Human Rights Council until it condemns the Palestinian terrorist group Hamas. The Stand with Israel Act was introduced by Florida Republican Anna Polina Luna on Monday. It received bipartisan support. In a press release, Luna said that condemning one of history's deadliest attacks against the Jewish people should not be a heavy lift for the UN. Introduction of the bill coincided with calls for the resignation of UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. It follows a speech that some have interpreted as justifying the actions of Hamas. Yesterday, Luna pointed out on X that China sits on the UN Human Rights Council despite the ongoing persecution of Uyghur Muslims and failing to condemn the October 7th attack by Hamas. A student from Cornell University in New York was arrested yesterday. The arrest follows online threats allegedly made by the student calling for the death of Jewish people. 21-year-old Patrick Dye is a junior at the university. Authorities say he posted the messages to the Cornell section of an online discussion site. In one post, Dai allegedly said that he was going to shoot up a section of the university's dining hall that caters to kosher diets. The area is located next to the Cornell Jewish Center. The New York Attorney General's office, the, the New York Attorney's office says Dai wrote another post threatening to stab and slit the throat of any Jewish males he sees on campus. The Post also allegedly made references to raping Jewish women and beheading Jewish babies. Dai is expected to make his initial appearance before a federal judge in Syracuse later today. If convicted, he could face a maximum term of five years in prison and other penalties. And meanwhile, the state of New York will begin a review of the anti-Semitism and anti-discrimination policies in New York City's public university system. And state police will expand its monitoring of social media to identify any online threats on college campuses. New York Governor Kathy Hochul announced yesterday up to $75 million in grants for local police departments and houses of worship. The grants would be used to identify and combat anti-Semitic attacks and threats against Palestinians online. And tensions remain high in the U.S. and overseas following the Hamas terrorist attacks. In New York City, even simple posters drawing attention to the missing in Israel are vanishing in some places. Here's the story. No, 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 no. Don't worry about okay, it. Okay, you'll be all over the news. Don't worry about it. In New York City, an ugly confrontation over the removal of a poster of one of the hostages kidnapped from Israel. You're so proud of Show your face! Show your face! You are not allowed to post yes. After a few moments, the people walked away from the scene. Good luck! Shame on you! That's Broadway producer James Simon using scissors to take down a poster showing one of the more than 200 hostages. After removing the poster, Simon crumpled it up and tossed it in the garbage. 
When the New York Post published the video, Simon told the Post he took down the flyers for the purpose of keeping the city's streets clean and not for anti-Semitic reasons. According to the Post, he also apologized for offending anyone. The posters were designed by a few Israeli artists who were visiting New York City when Hamas gunmen attacked Israel. They say they identified 220 hostages and confirmed their names with their families before making the flyers, but that they never expected their work to become a flashpoint. With each poster that comes down, the artists making them promise to put up 10,000 more. They're just trying to bring awareness to the situation. Yeah, it's unfortunate that people are taking it down. Yeah. Stay with us here. Warnings of Hamas terrorists entering the U.S. said to be too little, too late. And illegal crossers found with explosive devices. A retired ICE agent brings some clarity to the border chaos. Former President Trump is getting some help from a Texas representative who will testify on his behalf. Find out what the congressman has to say. The Senate is looking to speed approval of new military leaders, and the vote could happen as soon as today. Hear more about that after the break. Good to have you back. Senators are sounding the alarm on the administration's border policies after illegal border crossers were recently caught with explosives. GOP Senator John Barrasso says the devices were tailor-made for terrorism. He described them as the size of cannonballs. Senators John Cornyn, Ted Cruz and Pete Ricketts joined Barrasso on a trip to the southern border last week. The senators say over 8 million illegal border crossers have taken place. Uh, border crossings have taken place under President Biden's watch, with the estimated number of so-called gotaways nearing two million since he took office. Your Senator Cornyn. These criminal organizations are very smart. They, uh, they, they flood the zone with people taking many of the Border Patrol agents off the front lines because they have to do administrative duties and process uh, these migrants so they can then be released. Uh, but they're not there to stop the drugs and stop the potential uh, criminals and terrorists who are coming across the border. Senator Barrasso said the visit made it painfully clear that the U.S. faces an increased threat of te a terrorist attack. That's due to what he calls the administration's open border policy. Senator Ricketts says the U.S. is opening itself up for a terrorist attack. He said 18 people on the terrorist watch list were caught entering the United States illegally in September and 172 last year. Ricketts blamed the surge on failed border policies and said the number used to be in single digits. He says the biggest thing Biden can do is to bring back the Trump-era Remain in Mexico policy. And at the same time, a large migrant caravan has left southern Mexico and is headed for the U.S. border. Several thousand people from Cuba, Guatemala, Haiti, Venezuela and other countries will increase pressure on border personnel struggling to keep up with the wave of migrants. One of the caravan organizers says that the group will contain about 5,000 people looking to enter the U.S. Venezuelans have been migrating to the U.S. in high numbers because of the economic crisis in the formerly prosperous oil-producing country. And we're joined live by Victor Avila, a retired special agent with Homeland Security Investigations ICE, to discuss some responses to warnings about Hamas terrorists crossing the southern border. Good morning, Victor. Good morning. 
The Southwestern Border Sheriff's Coalition says it's too little too late to warn about Hamas terrorists entering the U.S., given that there has already been about 1.7 million known gotaways in fiscal year 2021. Do you agree with this? That's absolutely true, and that, that statistic is uh, alarming. Now, this is of the ones that we actually know about, 1.7 million known gotaways. These are the people that uh, Border Patrol actually detected on a camera, uh, on a, a sensor and actually saw them into the country, but couldn't get to them and couldn't apprehend them. Now that it should be alarming to every single American because we have no idea, absolutely no idea who these individuals are. And so uh, why? Because under this, the policy of this administration, we have kept the border agents from actually doing their job and to process the, the rest of the millions that continue to enter the country. Talking about not knowing who these people are, about 170 people this fiscal year on the terror watch list have entered the country, well, have been apprehended trying to enter it. And now we have this crisis here. So what needs to be done to keep the Americans safe? Uh, and, and that's another alarming statistic. By the way, the total number under this administration is over 250 uh, people on the terror watch list and no-fly list. Very, very serious individuals that we want to know about. And these are the ones that we actually were able to catch. Can you imagine how many we were not able to interdict on our southern border? And I can tell you from my experience, when I was assigned to the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City, I interviewed a lot of these individuals, what we refer to as special interest aliens from special interest countries like Bangladesh, Somalia, Yemen, Iran. And they have been in Mexico for a long time. They have been patient and used Mexico as a hub to enter the United States. What better time right now that the open, the border is wide open for them to continue to in, uh, enter our country illegally. But the, the big difference here is that we have no idea what their agenda is and why they wanna come into our country. We know that ideology is very different and uh, they, don't want, uh, they, they don't want the existence of the Westerners or Americans and they have infiltrated here. Are, you asked the, the question, are they here in the United States? Absolutely, they're here and it's a, a, a cause for caution and alarm to be able to be ready in case these individuals want to act. So more warnings around terrorism here. As we reported, senators are sounding the alarm about and the increased risk of an actual terrorist attack on U.S. soil after these illegal border crossers were caught with explosive devices. Have we seen anything like this before? We definitely have caught other individuals, uh, uh, with not, not as blatant as, as we're seeing it now, you see, they, they're taking advantage of coming over because at some points in, in, the, in our line on the border, we have up to 90% of Border Patrol agents not uh, doing the, the duties of a Border Patrol agent. They have them doing the processing, the hospital watch, the transportation. As a matter of fact, HSI special agents, where I used to work, have also been sent down to the border, but not to help secure it but to help facilitate the entry of people, again, uh, sometimes even by just bringing them food, transporting them, and even uh, taking care of their laundry. This is uh, uh, completely unacceptable, and the roles of our law enforcement officials have been switched. We do have to go back to other policies like remain in Mexico if we want to be able to secure this border. Victor, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I mean, how much time is actually supposed to be spent from a border agent actually processing these people and, like you said, those other duties versus hunting down the bad guys? 
Well, uh, the, the Border Patrol agents are supposed to be on the line patrolling the border, uh, but this administration have really kept them from doing the scope of their duties. Uh, these agents have been demoralized because not only have they not been allowed to do their job, they've actually been uh, instructed to do other things that I believe are against the law, against immigration law, and against uh, uh, other uh, policies. Uh, you see, this administration is trying to normalize this, and this is not normal. This is lawlessness down at the border. And so you see border agents not being able to actually exercise their duties of what they were actually trained to do, and that is interdiction. What you're seeing right now and these encounters where people come up to Border Patrol, that is not an interdiction. That is those people willfully wanting to come in to turn themselves in. Let's not forget millions that do not want to do that, aside from the 1.7 million Godways that do not want to turn themselves into Border Patrol that are being smuggled into this country that we're not able to stop because the border agents are not on the line. Very great analysis from you, Victor. And just think about not only the extreme importance of keeping the country safe, but these agents, they signed up to do a job and they want to go do it. So imagine the morale shift when they're actually just reassigned to some other duties. Victor Avila, retired special agent with HSI ICE, thank you. Thank you. House Representative and MAGA Republican Troy Nails is set to testify in defense of former President Trump. Nell said on X he will appear as a fact witness in the Colorado lawsuit that could keep Trump off the ballot there. Plaintiffs in the lawsuit are using a legal theory under the 14th Amendment and claim that Trump took part in an insurrection. Nails calls the trial a sham and said he was at the Capitol on January 6th and there was no insurrection. Nels was a law enforcement official and Army reservist for decades, which could inform his opinion on the events of January 6th. Former President Trump was acquitted of an impeachment charge of inciting the Capitol breach, and no criminal charges of insurrection were brought against him. Former President Trump has filed a lawsuit to block efforts in Michigan to keep him off the ballot. Legal challenges in Michigan also use the 14th Amendment, which says no one involved in an insurrection can hold office. Trump's lawsuit asks that Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson keep his name on the ballot and declare she has no authority to keep him off in the first place. Trump's lawyers say Benson didn't answer a letter asking for confirmation that his name would appear on the primary ballot. The suit says Benson's lack of response created uncertainty on how he allocates his resources. The lawsuit also notes Benson has publicly spoken about her negative views regarding the former president. Trump has, on numerous occasions, denied calling for violent protests on January 6th. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has moved to fast-track confirmation of the Marine Corps' second-ranking officer. Schumer also wants to confirm President Biden's picks to serve as the top officers in the Air Force and Navy. The vote could come as early as today. A sense of urgency came after the weekend hospitalization of General Eric Smith, the top officer in the Marines. Hundreds of promotions have been impeded by Senator Tommy Tuberville's protest of the Pentagon's abortion travel policy. Schumer said the hole in Marine leadership is an avoidable emergency and that Tuberville's hold is supremely risky. It requires senators to vote on individual promotions. It's a time-consuming process Schumer has avoided. Up next, the Supreme Court heard cases on whether or not public officials can legally block others on social media, a function used to stifle critics.
A jury finds the National Association of Realtors liable for conspiring to artificially inflate commissions for home sales. Can you beat high mortgage rates by buying a home now and refinancing later? We ask several experts whether that's a good idea, so stick around. Welcome back. Can public officials legally block others on social media? It's a function often used to stifle critics. The question was taken up by the Supreme Court yesterday in cases from California and Michigan. The rulings could shape how public officials use social media to communicate with constituents and potential voters. Here's the story. The U.S. Supreme Court on Tuesday heard arguments over whether public officials can block online critics on social media in two cases that test the First Amendment right to free speech in the digital age. The first case involves parents in California who were blocked by two school board trustees on social media. And the second involves a Michigan man who was blocked by a city official on Facebook. The justices appeared to struggle with how to make the determination of whether a social media account should be considered personal or official. If it looks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it is a duck and it means the First Amendment applies. Katie Fallow, senior attorney at the Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University, said a political divide on the top court was visible. And to some extent, you could see some partisan lines with many of the court's liberal, three liberal justices expressing concern that public officials will essentially try to evade their obligations under the First Amendment by claiming that it's a purely personal account, even though they're doing all these official things with the account. And on the other side, some of the conservative justices expressing concern about the First Amendment rights of public officials themselves, who certainly have, even after they're elected or if they're serving in the government, have the right to engage in their own personal speech. Some justices, including Katanji Brown Jackson, asked if requiring public officials to include disclaimers on their personal pages could help clear some of the fog. Others expressed doubt that personal accounts heavily used for government business should actually be considered personal. A jury yesterday found the National Association of Realtors liable for nearly $1.8 billion. It's for conspiring to artificially inflate commissions for home sales. Joining us to discuss this is NTD business host Don Ma. Don, it's great to see you. Yeah, good to see you guys as always. So can you tell us more about this verdict to start? Sure. Um, just a bit of background information first off. Um, so for years, the National Association of Realtors has faced numerous accusations uh, by U.S. antitrust officials and private individuals as well um, that it has conspired to keep home sales uh, costs artificially high. Um, so the jury's uh, decision in Kansas City, Missouri might change long-standing practices uh, that let real estate agents increase their fees when home prices and mortgage rates go up. Uh, so the verdict followed a two-week trial. The defendants included uh, the National Association of Realtors and Home Services of America, and, and as well as the realty Keller Williams. Uh, and the lawsuit covered home sales that took place between April 2015 to 2022. So that's just a, a bit of an overview here. Mm. Doesn't sound good, but what, what do the defendants say to that? 
Well, the defendants uh, denied wrongdoing. No surprise there. The president of the National uh, Association of Realtors said uh, after the verdict uh, was announced that this matter is not close to final. Uh, they're, they're going to appeal the liability ruling and uh, seek reduced damages. And Home Services said it was disappointed in the verdict and planned to appeal as well. And uh, Keller Williams said uh, the realty company would consider its options as well for an appeal, and this is not the end for them either. Um, but Remax and Century 21 and others were also de defendants, but settled uh, before trial with uh, Remax paying uh, the most at $55 million, but they're not admitting liability. You know, this is big news. Even one of the top lawyers for the plaintiffs was saying that the antitrust law, they're probably gonna take this up and make it three times bigger, $5 billion to be awarded here. Well, you know, let's see what happens. They're appealing the ruling, um, but you know, only time will tell. Yeah, it's a good thing they're rooting all this out because then it'd be easier to sell a home, buy a home, good for everybody. Right. Sure. Yeah. Do you have anything else for us today? Yeah. Uh, in other news, a California jury found Tesla not guilty in the 2019 crash of a car using their autopilot technology. The lawsuit uh, actually alleged that Tesla knew uh, there were problems with the technology. Tesla said the crash was due to driver error. And uh, this is a big win for Tesla because the company faces several similar lawsuits. Um, but, you know, in some lighter news as well, inflation has been tricky for households and the Federal Reserve to manage. And it's also boosted the price of Halloween treats. Uh, the National Retail Federation estimates Americans' overall Halloween spending topped a record $12.2 billion, uh, surpassing pre-pandemic levels. And analysis of grocery prices by Data Assembly found candy and gum prices up 13% in the last 12 months. But still, uh, confectioners estimate Halloween uh, drives about $6 billion of their sales each year, the price of sweet tradition. Um, but yeah, that's all from me. Well, we know it's happening. I saw those trick-or-treaters out yesterday. Yeah, you gotta make sure they get their candy, man. <laughs> yeah, big all business. Right. Thank you so much, Don Ma, host of NTD Business. Yeah, my pleasure. The 30-year fixed mortgage rate is now around 8%, making people unwilling to get into new homes. But lenders say it's perfectly fine to buy now and then refinance later. NTD's Jack Bradley explores whether this is a good idea. Buy a home now, refinance later. Lenders are selling this idea to home buyers as the national average 30-year fixed rate goes over 8%. I just bought one last week, so... I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, of purchasing now. Uh, I definitely want to get some more. House flipper Chris Hawk says that if he finds a good house at a good price, he's going to keep it. Once interest rates go down, he says his house's value will grow exponentially. Once the rate gets to to where I think is the bottom, the plan would be to, to go into the bank and just say, hey, all these are in between six and eight. Um, you know, can I get down to a four? Hawk says it's important for home buyers to have a good credit score and have a good relationship with their banker. With those in place, he has no problem with them refinancing later. Date the rate and marry the property because you can always refinance. If you have good credit uh, and you have fallen in love with the right property where you picture yourself raising, you know, your family or living for uh, many years, certainly uh, I would 
say go for it. Real estate broker Lisa Simonson says refinancing works, but not for everyone. For people who don't have good credit or good liquidity, this may not be the right time. Be clear about how much it's going to cost to refinance because that that's really how you make the decision. If, if you can save enough um, through lower payments to pay off the cost of the refinance, then it makes sense. Analyst Jeff Ostrowski says you have to do the math. It can get endlessly complicated because there are so many different options for mortgages. He says there are a lot of costs associated with refinancing. There are a lot of closing costs. that They can be 2, 3, 4, even 5% of the, the total amount of the loan. Um, typically, you need a new appraisal. You might need an inspection. You've got to pay for things like credit checks and title insurance. Um, some states have taxes on mortgage refinances. Ostrowski says that people have to figure out whether their monthly savings from a lower rate will be higher than all those costs. Jack Bradley, NTD News. Coming up, Bolivia. It announces it will cut ties with Israel. It's the first country to do so since the start of the war after the October 7th Hamas attack. We hear from two brothers that escaped the supernova festival assault in Israel. Find out how the terrorist attacks affected their lives after the break. Good to have you back. The Bolivian government says it will cut diplomatic ties with Israel. The announcement came yesterday during a press conference. Bolivia is the first country to sever ties with Israel since the start of the war with Hamas. Several other Bolivian officials echoed the calls. Former President Evo Morales def demanded on X that Israel be declared a terrorist state. Bolivia previously broke ties with Israel in 2008 under Morales' socialist leadership. The ties were re-established in 2020 under conservative president Janine Añez. The country's current president recently met with the Palestinian ambassador to Bolivia. He voiced support for international efforts to provide humanitarian aid. Hired to cater for an all-night Israeli music festival, two brothers fled for their lives just after dawn. That was October 7th, when Hamas terrorists turned a celebration into a place of horror. The brothers saw partygoers falling around them as 250 people were killed in the surprise cross-border attack. Here is their story. What started as a catering job at Israel's Nova Festival on October 7th soon turned into a nightmare for brothers Rada and Raif Rashad. The pair, who are of the Arab minority Druze faith, which draws its roots from Islam, have been hired for the all-night music event. But they instead found themselves fleeing for their lives when Hamas militants rampaged through the crowds just after dawn. Despite being Arabic speakers, Raif says they still couldn't fully comprehend what was happening, as the celebratory atmosphere became one of horror. He ran through the trees to a parked vehicle, filming as he fled with the sound of gunfire in the background. I saw 10 terrorists just do lynch to keep, you know, with hammers. I hear, I hear them. I don't understand what, what is that, and then, and then, Understand here, 10 people, here, 10, five terrorists. It's like a chaos. I don't understand. I, uh, I succeed to, to record them like a few seconds. 
And, and then I take a look in the side, I saw a car uh, coming to my direction. 250 people were killed in the surprise cross-border attack that has sparked the worst hostilities for decades in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The brothers were separated in the chaos, but Rada paired up with another festival worker and ran. Back home in northern Israel, around 120 miles from the festival site near Kibbutz Raim, he said the incident has had a profound impact on him. On this day, I was reborn. I now have two birth dates the original one on March 15th and the new one on October 7th. Because what I lived through on October 7th are unbelievable things. What I have seen, I never imagined I would see. What I saw, why was it me? From all the people on earth, to see what happened. The people who we lost have left for nothing. The girls who have gone for nothing. They were begging for Hamas not to kill them, but they were having fun with them. They took them by their hair and shot them in the head. Why? I will never see a day more difficult than that day. It is the toughest day in the history of the country. Israel says 1,400 people were killed and around 240 hostages were taken that day. Many of them are thought to be in captivity in Hamas's vast Gaza tunnel network, which Israeli troops have begun attacking. Yeah, their version of 9-11 and much, much more severe impact per capita because Israel is such a smaller country. And I just want to point out one thing, that those were not Hamas militants that stormed that festival. Those were Hamas terrorists, just to be clear. Right. Thank you. Um, and right now we are kicking off the second part of our broadcast. The Rafah border crossing opens for limited evacuations with critically injured patients and 500 foreign passport holders eager to get out. We bring you the latest on the Israel-Hamas war. The White House is not impressed with the House GOP efforts to send aid to Israel. The proposal slashes IRS funding to pay for it, and it doesn't include Ukraine. We have reactions to the bill. A New York University student arrested following allegations of making threats online, threats reportedly anti-Semitic in nature. A Jerusalem Holocaust memorial repurposed for the benefit of children. We look at what it's doing to help kids displaced by the war. Welcome back, and to those of you just joining us, good morning. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning for me again as well. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Tuesday, October 31st. Now let's get right into our top stories. The Rafah border crossing between Gaza and Egypt opened for limited evacuations today. Close to 500 dual citizens and foreign passport holders trapped in Gaza, expecting to be let out. Ambulances lined up at the border in Egypt this morning to pick up critically injured patients. The 80-some Palestinians will be the first allowed out of Gaza since the war began. The deal between Egypt, Israel and Hamas, in coordination with the U.S., was reportedly mediated by Qatar. It's unknown how long the crossing will stay open. 
Israel's military said today it struck over 11,000 targets belonging to terror groups in the Gaza Strip since October 7th. That's an average of around 440 strikes per day. The IDF says nine more of its soldiers were killed in ground operations, bringing the total up to 11 since Israel stepped up its offensive last week. Switching gears, House Republicans' $14 billion aid bill for Israel is being met with stiff opposition from the White House. It's threatened a veto should a veto sh should it reach President Biden's desk. That's because the bill slashes IRS funding and doesn't include Ukraine. Senators from both sides of the aisle are also voicing their doubts, including Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the proposal some senators say is dead on arrival. Speaker Mike Johnson took his first major legislative step in the House this week with the introduction of the GOP's $14.3 billion aid package for Israel. The bill would cut $14.5 billion of IRS funding that came bundled in the Inflation Reduction Act. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer accused Johnson of loading the bill with what he called poison pills and says it's dead on arrival. This House GOP proposal is clearly designed to divide Congress on a partisan basis. The White House says Republicans are politicizing national security. It opposes the exclusion of Ukraine and says emergency funding shouldn't come with cuts. It's threatened a veto if it makes it to President Biden's desk. Biden has requested roughly $106 billion for Israel and Ukraine, along with funding for deterrence against China in the Indo-Pacific and security at the U.S.-Mexico border. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby called the GOP bill a break from the normal bipartisan process. He says it could have devastating implications for U.S. safety and security interests overseas. There shouldn't be any political games played here with our national security or trying to turn support for Israel's self-defense into some, side of, some sort of uh, political football. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says he supports Democrats' position to tie aid together and agrees the other areas need treatment as well. Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and the border. Senator Josh Hawley called McConnell's support a mistake. I think it's notable that he's standing with Schumer over against the Republicans. Republicans are expected to pass the legislation in the House as soon as this week. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Senators are sounding the alarm on the administration's border policies after illegal border crossers were recently caught with explosives. GOP Senator John Barrasso says the devices were tailor-made for terrorism. He described them as the size of cannonballs. Senators John Cornyn, Ted Cruz and Pete Ricketts joined Barrasso on a trip to the southern border last week. The senators say over 8 million illegal border crossings have taken place under President Biden's watch, with the estimated number of so-called gotaways nearing 2 million since he took office. Here's Senator Cornyn. These criminal organizations are very smart. They, uh, they, they flood the zone with people taking many of the Border Patrol agents off the front lines because they have to do administrative duties and process uh, these migrants so they can then be released. Uh, but they're not there to stop the drugs and stop the potential uh, criminals and terrorists who are coming across the border. Senator Barrasso said the visit made it painfully clear that the U.S. faces an increased threat of a terrorist attack. That's due to what he calls the administration's open border policy. Senator Ricketts says the U.S. is opening itself up for a terrorist attack. He said 18 people on the terrorist watch list were caught entering the United States illegally in September and 172 last year. 
Ricketts blamed the surge on failed border policies and said the number used to be in single digits. He says the biggest thing Biden can do is to bring back the Trump-era Remain in Mexico policy. And to dive into this topic, I spoke with Victor Avila, a retired special agent with Homeland Security Investigations, ICE. Take a look. 1.7 million known gotaways. These are the people that uh, Border Patrol actually detected on a camera, uh, on a, a sensor, and actually saw them into the country, but couldn't get to them and couldn't apprehend them. Now, that should be alarming to every single American because we have no idea, absolutely no idea, who these individuals are. And so uh, why? Because under this, the policy of this administration, we have kept the border agents from actually doing their job and to process the, the rest of the millions that continue to enter the country. Talking about not knowing who these people are, about 170 people this fiscal year on the terror watch list have entered the country, well, have been apprehended trying to enter it. And now we have this crisis here. So what needs to be done to keep the Americans safe? Uh, and, and that's another alarming statistic. By the way, the total number under this administration is over 250 uh, people on the terror watch list and no-fly list. Very, very serious individuals that we want to know about. And these are the ones that we actually were able to catch. Can you imagine how many we were not able to interdict on our southern border? And I could tell you from my experience, when I was assigned to the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City, I interviewed a lot of these individuals, what we refer to as special interest aliens from special interest countries like Bangladesh, Somalia, Yemen, Iran. And they have been in Mexico for a long time. They have been patient and used Mexico as a hub to enter the United States. What better time right now that the, open, the border is wide open for them to continue to uh, enter our country illegally. Shifting our focus now, abortion is back in the spotlight. Ohio residents will vote next Tuesday on whether to enshrine abortion access in the state constitution. But it's causing a lot of tension because some say the proposal is not very clear. Issue one, as the amendment is called, says abortion may be prohibited after a baby can survive outside the womb but it also allows abortion if a doctor says it's necessary for a person's health. But health can include many things, even family size or mental state. So some worry that late-term abortions won't have many restrictions. Pro-abortion groups would also like to remove the rule that says parents need to be notified if a minor wants an abortion. Pro-life advocates think the amendment is too broad, could harm potential rights, and say it removes all common-sense abortion regulation. So to hear more about it and to find out what the issue, what issue one would change, we're bringing in Jeff Lauterbach, a reporter with the Epoch Times. Good morning, Jeff. Good to see you. Now, first, what would the new, what would this issue one change in terms of access to abortion? Can you just quickly lay out the current situation and how issue one would basically change, change that if passed? Well, it would drastically change in, in Ohio, and Ohio is the only one, only state in the nation that uh, has abortion as an amendment on, on the ballot. So uh, right now it's up to around 22 weeks and it would drastically change it to, uh, according to the language, uh, up to uh, very late term. So it, it would drastically change and it would uh, be the opposite of neighboring Indiana, which uh, has banned abortion. Hmm. So can you quickly lay out the tensions again? So what are the concerns with this amendment and what do people say that are supporting issue one? 
Well, there's two extremes because the uh, pro-choice advocates believe that they don't like the fact they're in the proposed, uh, the heartbeat bill, which is held up in a court, doesn't allow exceptions for rape and incest. And it, it's the standard uh, abortion argument about bodily autonomy for um, pro-choice advocates. And uh, for the pro-life side, it's about removing uh, not just uh, I mean, allowing abortion late term, but also removing parental rights. It extends far beyond just uh, just the abortion topic, and that's uh, the, the, that's the two extremes. It's uh, it's beyond just an abortion battle. Hmm. So some are taking this issue as the bellwether for 2024. Now, what is the significance of this vote in your eyes, and how would that translate to what might be coming in 2024? Well, we saw last year there were a lot of surprises in, in certain states that are deemed conservative that went for uh, pro-choice uh, on these amendments. So uh, this has determined abortion is going to be a hot-button issue in the presidential election. It already is. Uh, I'm covering the RFK Jr. campaign, and a lot of conservatives surprisingly support um, RFK Jr., but they don't like his stance. Uh, he's for bodily autonomy, but he's also against uh, late-term abortion, and he is a, a firm believer in uh, funding uh, mothers to uh, funding uh, adoptions. So it's already a hot-button issue in in the presidential race. So this is going to determine really what happens in other states next year when they have abortion amendments on on the ballot. So we'll see whether it continues from last year where pro-choice uh, advocates got their way or whether this will um, go on the pro-life side. November 7th, obviously, coming up. Right, and just on that note, what are you able to tell so far in terms of projections how this will play out? Well, back on August 8th in Ohio, there was another issue one, and that was uh, th this current uh, proposed amendment was a big part of that because it was determined. It was to determine whether the state constitution would require 60% to pass an amendment or stay at 50% plus one. The 50% plus one side overwhelmingly won. Uh, I think the a recent poll from Baldwin Wallace University uh, said it. The current issue one matches that, which is I think was 58% voted. Uh, to go against increasing to 60%, and now the issue one, they they, they project 58% to vote yes for issue one. So it, it, it'll depend on the turnout of uh, the churches, uh, it appears. Right, well, thank you so much for filling us in on that. Jeff Lauterbeck, uh, thank you for coming on this morning. Thank you. Coming up, we take a closer look at the extensive underground tunnels in Gaza, the main areas that Hamas maintains and operates out of. A famous Holocaust memorial transforms its mission to help children displaced by the war. That story coming up.
Welcome back. The Hamas tunnels beneath Gaza are a prime objective for Israel in its ground offensive against the terrorist group. Reuters former Jerusalem bureau chief Stephen Farrell explains. Gaza is Hamas's power base, and the huge tunnel network underneath Gaza is a secret power base within that base. It is Hamas's default go-to place to hide, to conceal hostages, to fire rockets from, to store weapons. So that is why the network is so important to Israel. First of all, it has destroyed a lot of the ground cover above land so that the Hamas fighters do not have anywhere to go if they run. Now, the Israeli troops are moving underground in order to free the hostages, kill or capture the Hamas fighters, and deter or stop them from ever doing this sort of thing again. I've been down some of these tunnels in Gaza. The smaller commercial ones are about three to four feet wide. The military tunnels are much more sophisticated, concrete reinforced, far deeper. It's going to be very, very, very hard for Israel to flush Hamas fighters out of that network. Israel is stepping up its operation in Gaza. And to give us some updates, earlier I spoke with Pierre Rehoff, a French-Israeli reporter, writer, and documentary filmmaker. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to be with you also. Uh, I live in uh, Ashdod, uh, south of Ashdod, so I'm basically 10 miles away from Gaza. Uh, what has been going on for us uh, living in this house has been not, I mean, the end of the world, I have to say, but we have a baby and uh, we had to rush to the shelter three, four, five times a day, including in the middle of the night. Obviously, uh, the, the rockets, uh, which are fired by Hamas and other organizations from within Gaza are targeting civilians. But we have, as you know, the Iron Dome, and most of them are destroyed by the Iron Dome. So we feel relatively safe, although there is, you know, a lot of tension in the air. The other evening, I went out walking the dogs, and uh, I didn't have time to uh, rush back home. So I was outside, and two rockets exploded above my head. So I saw shrapnels landing in the street and landing in the park where I used to, I used to, 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 to walk the dogs. And one of the, one of the trees uh, caught fire. So it was a little bit, you know, scary. And then I, then I ran back home and my wife was out of her mind because I forgot my cell phone and she was trying desperately to reach out to me and she thought I was dead. So these kind of things are happening on a daily basis. So sorry you had to go through that. And I'm glad that you're safe. And it's good that the Iron Dome and your shelters are able to give you some security there. The IDF has reportedly stepped up its shelling campaign in northern Gaza. Can you please give an assessment of the Israeli military's tactics of using airstrikes, shelling, and ground operations? Well, I'm not a military expert, I'm a, but I'm a reporter who's been many times embedded in the Israeli uh, army and also in Iraq with the American army. And I think it's a a simple tactic because we just they just want to ex eliminate the Hamas uh, terrorists, the Hamas fighters, and the, the best way to do it is at the same time to be able to protect the uh, IDF forces from the ground by uh, by sending the bombs, targeted bombs, at the places where we know that the the terrorists might be hiding, and uh, that's a good thing because as you as you know, unfortunately. Yesterday, nine Israeli soldiers died, but in the meantime, 50 uh, Hamas terrorists were eliminated. So this tactic, which consists at, at the same time protecting the IDF soldiers on the ground, also protecting Palestinian population, civilians, it uh, has, been, has been proven right for a long time already. I remind you that out of 
thousands and thousands of bombing in 2014, only a few hundred Palestinians were killed, which tells you how much Israel is doing its very best to just protect civilians and, and, uh, and also protect its own arm. A student from Cornell University in New York was arrested yesterday. The arrest follows online threats allegedly made by the student calling for the death of Jewish people. 21-year-old Patrick Dye is a junior at the university. Authorities say he posted the messages to the Cornell section of an online discussion site. In one post, Dye allegedly said that he was going to shoot up a section of the university's dining hall that caters to kosher diets. The area is located next to the Cornell Jewish Center. The New York Attorney's Office says Dye wrote another post threatening to stab and slit the throat of any Jewish males he sees on campus. The post also allegedly made references to raping Jewish women and beheading Jewish babies. Dye is expected to make his initial appearance before a federal judge in Syracuse later today. If convicted, he could face a maximum term of five years in prison and other penalties. Some lighter news. A world-famous Holocaust memorial in Jerusalem has changed its mission to benefit Israeli children. They've changed the memorial into a school for children displaced in the conflict, providing them safety and security. Let's take a look. The Yad Vashem International School for Holocaust Studies in Jerusalem has served the public for 50 years. Their mission has always been to honor and teach about victims of the Holocaust. It's been very successful with around a million visitors a year. But things have changed since the October 7th terrorist attack. They have temporarily repurposed the building into a school for children displaced by the conflict. First they had to completely change the interior to make it a positive place for the kids. In ordinary days, in normal days, we want to teach about the Holocaust. We want, to, we want people to be aware of the Holocaust, to talk about the Holocaust, to commemorate the Holocaust, but this is a different time. We understood that bringing young children into a building where there are difficult photos, where there are difficult posters, it's not the right thing. So we basically took off all the pictures, we put them aside. When all of this is over, we'll go back to our ordinary jobs, we'll, be, we'll go back to our commitment to commemorate the Holocaust. The new mission draws on examples from the past. Today is a different story and inspired by our past, by educators in the time of the Holocaust, by people who were committed to their communities, by people who said in a difficult time we still have a role, we still have a mission. And this is our mission today. The school aims to provide children forced from their homes some security and normalcy in what the school director calls difficult times. Here at Yad Vashem, we opened a school for kids. We're bringing them into a school where they learn, where, 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 they, where they gain new knowledge every day, and it's a safe zone for them. This is where we, they play, this is where we teach them. This is, in a way, continuing what was normal life before. The school hopes to return to its original mission soon, but says they are committed to helping children displaced in the war for as long as it takes. I think I think what they're doing is wonderful, but here I, I think it's also very important to learn about the Holocaust, right? I was as somebody that grew up in Germany with this being a core piece of um, of in, in, that we learn in school. I was so surprised to hear that one in ten um, Americans don't know about the Holocaust, which it's is such important history to yeah. be aware of. Well, um, we have to wrap up our show right here, but we'll keep you updated with the latest information. So stay tuned for our News Today broadcast at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.